250 years ago, almost to the day, the most well-known hymn ever written was first sung in a congregation. The most well-known hymn. It was January the 1st, 1773, in a small market town called Onley, that Amazing Grace was first played by a congregation. Now, after a slow start, the hymn rose to fame in the 20th century and now is the most recognised hymn, both within the church and in the secular world, at least in the West. So this morning, we're going to trace the background and the history of the hymn Amazing Grace and who the author was, and we're going to see how this hymn still powerfully points to God's undeserved kindness to you and I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace so amazing, so amazing that we love to sing about it, so amazing that it changed our lives. Help us, Lord, as we explore the roots of this hymn and look into Scripture to see afresh how amazing your grace is to each one of us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, the transatlantic slave trade was a great evil. For 300 years, Africans were transported on slave ships to the America through what is called the Middle Passage. Now, millions of slaves died on these ships because conditions were so inhumane. And when they died, they were just callously tossed overboard. And so sharks started to follow the ships. For 300 years, sharks followed the ships. And now, 200 years later, Sharks still swim the Middle Passage because that has been their feeding habit. The transatlantic slave trade was a great evil. Now you may be surprised to find out that an ex-investor in slaves, an ex-captain of a slave ship, was the man who wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing. How could a slave trader who caused such misery who participated in such evil, write such a hymn. Well, let's track his story for a little bit. Sailors in the mid-1700s had a reputation of being rough and tough. But one captain tells of a young man who joined his crew who was particularly bad. In a culture where swearing was common, this young man was punished several times, not just because he used the worst words the captain had ever heard of, but because he made up his own cuss words that the rest of the ship crew took great delight in saying. And this man also had a gift in writing little songs, and he would write the crudest wee songs and teach it to the crew. He was a foul-mouthed young man. However, on one crossing, a storm struck, and it was a storm that was fierce, the fiercest the ship had ever encountered. And a wave, a large wave, struck. A sailor was standing there, got washed away, but it happened to be just where that young man was standing a few moments before. And he realised that for a matter of moments, he would have been washed overboard. And the storm continued, and so he and another sailor, they roped themselves to the pump so they wouldn't get washed away. And for hours, they manned the pumps. And during the worst of the storm, this young man cried out, If this will not work, then Lord, have mercy on us. And finally, after long hours, the storm abated. And miracle upon miracles, the ship was still sailable, though very badly damaged. 
But this young man's own cry for mercy had a deep impact in his life. He was so grateful that he had been spared from drowning that for the first time he wondered about the God to whom he had called out to. And so after a time, this young man asked Jesus into his life and was saved. And he changed. Now he'd be first to admit that his swearing took the longest to get rid of. <laughs> but those around him who knew him saw that he was a changed man. So much so that he, he relinquished his investments... He left the slave trading business completely. He resigned as a captain and he trained to be a minister. And then he led a parish in the small market town of Onley, England. Now, why would God be interested in this foul-mouthed, slave-trading, debauched young man who used to delight in ridiculing Christians? Why would God have anything to do with a young man by the name of John Newton? Of course, you may not have heard of John Newton, but we've all heard of his hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Now, some of you will know that story as we sing Amazing Grace, but for others, this is new. Isn't it amazing? Those words are well chosen. And here we have a hymn at the peak of its art form where the lyrics and the melody combine to express the deep and rich emotions that we experience when we encounter God. The, the glory of a wonderful hymn or modern spiritual song is they put into words what we struggle to put into words. They have that gift of doing it for us. And in all this, they mirror the book of Psalms. For psalms are made up of 150 songs, and in those psalms you have the full gamut of human emotion, from the heights of great joy to the depth of great despair. All of those are revealed in the songs of the psalms. But all are corralled, all those emotions and thoughts are corralled into the one thought of worshipping our Lord and Saviour. And on top of the glory and the wonder of a hymn like Amazing Grace is that generally we don't sing it alone. We sing it shoulder to shoulder with people next to you. And you might know well the person next to you or in front of you, or you may not know them at all. But we are united in a dependency on the living God when we stand and sing a song like Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And as we sing Amazing Grace, there's a sense where we capture something of that wonderful experience that we had when we first encountered the living God. And so, 250 years ago, almost to the day, we still delight in singing the words of God's grace so amazing. Being a preacher, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. I was curious that morning in Onley churches, what did the preacher preach about? What was the scripture that he opened up, that John Newton opened up, so that his song Amazing Grace could support it? Well, what he preached on that morning was the undeserved kindness to a shepherd boy, a shepherd boy who in the world's eyes and in his family's eyes didn't amount to anything. But this shepherd boy, he had a heart for God 
And so God took the shepherd boy David and raised him up as king. And once David's kingdom was established, God made a promise, a promise that a descendant of David would be seated on the throne forever. And it's that response that David made on the day. That's what John Newton preached on, on the 1st of January, 1773. That's what he preached on, and that's what I'm going to preach on this morning as well. Uh, this is a sermon of two halves. The first half, we looked at John Newton's, John Newton's testimony, and now we're going to look at David and the grace that was exposed to him, and then we're going to tie it all together. So, we had the reading before, didn't we, where Nathan the prophet declared to David that there would always be a descendant of his upon the throne. And then we'll pick this up in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 15. Pick it up there. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. And then King David went in and sat before the Lord. A few things to note here. And now who was Nathan? Well, Nathan was a prophet who was much respected and listened to by David. So much so that Nathan had free access to the king. And on more than one occasion, God would speak to Nathan and then Nathan would relay that message to David as he did so here. And so that day, Nathan told David, and this was from God, that his son would be loved by God and that his throne would be established forever. That David would always have a descendant on the throne. And we see here David's initial response. David didn't stay in his royal palace, surrounded by reminders of his own importance. No, he left all of those regal trappings and went to the tabernacle, the tent place of worship, and there David sat before God, not as a king, but as a humble worshipper. And sitting there, no doubt, David cast his mind back to his simple beginnings as a shepherd boy, the youngest and almost forgotten eighth son of his father, Jesse. Who would imagine that the prophet Samuel would seek David out and anoint him to be king? Who would imagine that David not long after would then defeat, would kill the mighty giant Goliath? Who could imagine that Saul would, uh, would take him under his wing and he would rise to prominence in service of the king of Israel? And who could imagine that that king would die at the hands of the Philistines and then David himself would become king? And we can imagine as David is sitting there in the temple of God in that tent place of worship, not only does he recall all God's goodness to him, but also the words he just heard where a descendant of his would always be on the throne. And that's when he responds with these tremendous words. Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Now, this might not have been the reason why John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, but this is the context in which Amazing Grace was first sung. And as David reflects on all the blessings that God has done, Lord, who am I and who is my family that you have brought me this far? 
And I know many of us here today that have been following Jesus can say the same, that we can look back in our past and see how God has touched our lives again and again with kindness and mercy. And this day we can say the same. Who am I, Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And of course, David would go on to draw upon this grace in ways that he never imagined possible. For though being united by God's amazing grace, John Newton and King David, life story follow very different tracks. For John Newton, he had a heart that was far, far, far from God, and then God's grace broken and changed his life forever. That's so different from David. From an early age, he had a heart that was close to God, that yearned for God, that sought God, but then he allowed his heart to grow cold, and he drifted away, and then he committed the most awful of sins. For as David's personal wealth and influence as king grew year in, year out, unabated and unstoppable, and as everybody sung King's, uh, King David's praises, he started to feel above the law. And so when opportunity came, David had an affair with Bathsheba. And when she fell pregnant, David murdered her husband and took Bathsheba as his wife to cover up his great sin. Murdered, committed adultery. And David thought he'd covered his tracks, but no, God knew. And so God said to Nathan, called upon Nathan again and said, go and expose David. Go and rebuke David, bring him to account. And we pick this up in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12 from, from verse 7. And so, then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you the, your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little... I would have given you even more. Why did you then despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Exposed and rebuked. But to David's credit, he saw how far he had fallen and he repented. Verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And God forgave David, though he least deserved it. For though there were painful consequences, very painful consequences for David, he didn't get off scot-free. Though there were painful consequences, God's amazing grace restored and renewed David and his humble and repentant heart. And so much so that David wrote his own take on amazing grace, because both John Newton and King David were songwriters, very good songwriters. And so David went on to sum up his encounter with God's amazing grace in Psalm 51. Notice how Psalm 51 starts with instructions to the worship band. A psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Well, that's pretty brave of David, isn't it? Every time that song was sung within Israel, the worship band at least knew why they were singing it. Let's look at some of the words, some of the lyrics that David wrote as a response to God's grace breaking into his life from verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. 
according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Later on towards the end in verse 17 we have these wonderful words. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Once David had raised from that prayer, he was a forgiven man. And not only does this psalm, this, these wonderful words, come from the heart of David about God's amazing grace, but they give, again, they give us words to express our encounter with God when we fail hard and when we turn back to God. In fact, Psalm 51 shows us how we can turn back to God. And so both Psalm 51 and Amazing Grace serve a similar purpose. Not only do they express deeply the personal encounter with God that the author had, but they give us words. They bless us. They gift us with words so that we can give expression to our encounter with the living God. How blessed we are to have the Psalms of King David and the hymns of John Newton. So what are we to do with this? What are the implications for us today? We've looked at John Newton's story and how he wrote Amazing Grace, and we've looked at King David, how he experienced grace, but then fell and experienced God's greater grace. Well, John Newton summed up it well in these words. Later in life, he wrote this, Though my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great saviour. Isn't that a wonderful thing to, to remember at the end of your life? I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great saviour. You see, John Newton never forgot his slave trading days when he captained boats carrying kidnapped Africans to their misery and to their death. He never, he never forgot that. And though he repented, though he left the slave trade and served God, and though he helped to end the slave trade, he never forgot for where he came from. For no matter how wicked Newton's past was, he refused, though, to let his past dominate him. It's interesting, isn't it? Part of being a Christian is no matter how bad our past is, because we met Christ, we do not let our past dominate us today. For though John Newton's sin was great, his saviour was greater isn't that wonderful? Though John Newton's sin was great, his saviour was greater. John Newton knew in his heart of hearts that he had been an awful man. But his saviour, Jesus, was made sin for him so that he could be made a child of God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who was without sin was made sin for us, that we might become children of God. And John Newton knew that in his heart of heart, and it set him free. It set him free to sing Amazing Grace and how the worst of sinners can be transformed into a child of God. And this grace is available to each one of us this morning. Just as it was to that foul-mouthed slave-trading captain whose life was transformed by the undeserved kindness of the living God. 
our Heavenly Father. That grace is available to each one of us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're amazed that you break through into people's lives who least deserve it and transform them for good. And we thank you from our personal experience that you have broken through into our lives when we least deserved it and transformed it. Help us never to take this for granted. Help us always to sing amazing grace with great joy and great gratitude. Help us to live out that grace so amazing in our daily lives. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.